0: Good everyone, it's great to be here. Bethlehem Baptist, this is actually the second time that I've been here. Um, the first was actually a few weeks ago. Um, so I feel like I'm quite spoilt um, coming here. It is a great honor and a privilege to be here. I love what Bethlehem Baptist is doing in the community. Um, so it's very, very exciting for me to be a part, a part of that here right now. Um, so thank you very much for having me. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. So tonight we're talking about a man who... Um, Oh, I tried to jump in too quickly. I'm going to tell you about Pathways first. (laughs) Okay, so I'm sure there's a lot of you sitting here being like, Pathways, I would love to know more about that. Please tell me more. So I would love to do that. uh, But I think it's much better for you to hear it from some friends of mine. Uh So these are some friends um, who have studied at Pathways um, that will tell you a bit about what it is. um, And if you're interested about finding out more, uh, just talk to me later. Is that cool? All right, three people are pumped. I'm excited. me not only in my relationship with God, but learning about the knowledge of God as well. My first year here at Pathways um, taught me about who I am in Christ, not who I am in myself or who the world tells me to be. It's been real, um, yeah, legitimate, like it's a bunch of people from all over. New Zealand. Us like coming together and just living life together was awesome. What I love most about Pathways this year is that I get to be at Block Course and in the classroom learning, gaining knowledge, but then it doesn't just get stuck in my head because I get to go back to my ministry and work with real people um, and put that into practice. We won't stop being All right, come on, that's exciting, right? (laughs) Again, three people, good. (laughs) Yeah, there we go. All right, cool. I I just have to let you know, first off, um, I respond very well to um, verbal affirmation. Um, So often, if I ask a question and I'll be like, hey, what do you think of this? And if if you're all kind of quiet, my self-esteem is going to plummet. Okay, so for the sake of my self-esteem, If I ask you a real basic question, you're like, yeah, that's it. I'm going to be like, oh, I'm with you. This is good. Okay? So is that good? Come on. That's good. There we go. All right. I'm loving it. See, my self-esteem just went up a little bit. That's good. All right. So tonight, I'm going to tell you about an incredible person, a person who has quite literally changed how Christians think today. Um, This is a man who, through his writing um, and his whimsical nature, really changed how, how we think. Uh, this is a man by the name of Clive Staples Lewis, or more commonly known as C.S. Lewis. Uh, show of hands, who's actually heard of C.S. Lewis? All oh, right, that's good. I was thinking maybe like three people might have heard of him, but I'm, I'm glad. This is good. So we're, we're on a similar page at the start. Um, he is best known for writing the Chronicles of Narnia series. Anyone read that? Yeah. Wow, okay, sweet. That's good. Yeah, that's a children's book. Uh, read widely by adults. That's good. Uh, he, was, he was born in Ireland on the, November the 29th, 1898. And he died November 22nd, 1963. He was an atheist academic turned Christian academic. He was a professor of English and literature at both Oxford and Cambridge University. So that's kind of like, quite prestigious universities, yeah. He loved to write. He loved to read. He loved to smoke his pipe. (laughs) He loved to drink in pubs with his friends and with his students. And a good way to introduce him is to tell you this story that I just, I love. I think this is an awesome story. He was talking to a PhD student. So, you know, like, kind of the highest qualification you can find. And he he asked the student this question. What's life's greatest pleasure? And Lewis starts ticking things off. Is it great art? No, it's not great art. Is it spiritual experiences? No, it's not those. Is it sex? He says no. I'll tell you, Lewis said. It's the pleasure after walking for hours of coming to a pub and relieving yourself. I love that. That's <laughs> so fun. So you know, what does it tell you about Lewis? I think it shows that he asks the big questions, but he gives simple answers that you wouldn't expect. Even as a kid, he showed incredible potential. As a child, he would spend his days reading, writing and creating languages with his brother Warnie. This is insane. By the age of seven, he had, writ- he had written a three-part play, a three-act play, which he called The King's Ring, about a mouse who steals the King's Ring, and how Mr. Big the Frog and Sir Goose recover the ring. By age seven, I'm like, I'm 28, I can do that, it's insane. Unfortunately for Lewis, shortly after writing this, at age eight, his mother Florence died And this was a significant turning point in his life. His family started to disintegrate. His father just couldn't cope with the death of his wife. So he sent both of his sons to to separate boarding schools. And this really impacted Lewis a lot. In terms of religion, Lewis was raised in the Anglican Church in Ireland. But by the time he was 15, he had fully rejected Christianity, religion. He was a full-fledged atheist. And it was around this time that he dedicated his life to becoming a world-renowned poet. And everything that he would do would be, as a, be to become this poet. So he spent years studying English and literature. And after he graduated, he was offered a job at Oxford University. It's very impressive. He developed a friendship with someone who had recently started at Oxford University in a similar field. And that person was J.R.R. R. Tolkien. Unknown to Lewis, this friendship would change his life forever. Tolkien, very famous, right? Everyone heard everyone heard of Tolkien? I saw like three hands, so I've got no idea. (laughs) All right, cool, sweet. (laughs) So he wrote The Hobbit. He wrote The Lord of the Rings, which recently became, both of became massive trilogy um, films. Excellent films, very fun. Uh, But Tolkien, he was a Christian. And he he and Lewis, they would talk late into the night. I mean, late into the morning, sorry. (laughs) At their favorite pub called The Eagle and Child, where they would be smoking their pipes, drinking beer, and talking about all things in life. And Christianity was a big topic for Tolkien. So again, they would talk late, in, uh, yeah, late into the morning, early into the morning, I don't know, till like four in the morning often, <laughs> discussing about whether Christianity was legit or not. Finally, after many talks, <laughs> Lewis wrote a letter to a friend. This is what he said. In the, in the Trinity term of 1922, 1929, <laughs> I gave in and admitted that God was God, and knelt and prayed. This line I find hilarious. That night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all England. (laughs) That's not what I would think. This person has finally decided that there is a God, and he is reluctant and dejected. (laughs) Fascinating. At this point, though, he didn't believe in Jesus. He just said that there was a God. So he, he's, a, he's a theist at this point. But two years later, after regularly going to the college chapel and to a church, Lewis becomes a Christian. He comes to believe in Jesus Christ. And after his conversion, Lewis's writing and focus dramatically changes. And there are so many ways that Lewis has impacted Christianity Today, I'm going to pick two. He has written and spoken, and it has inspired millions of people. And the first way that he's done this is that he was an extraordinary person who wanted to be ordinary. If you were to walk by Lewis on the street, you wouldn't pick him to be one of the most Modern influential thinkers and writers of the day. Uh, people said he often looked like the neighborhood butcher. <laughs> Others said that by the way he dressed, you would guess he was a mid level accountant. He was shabby. He... Hey, mid level accountants, you guys are awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, he was shabby. Anyone in the, shabby, everyone in the shabby pool? That's awesome as well. <laughs> Come on. Um, he, looked, he looked like a down-to-earth person. He looked very much ordinary, and that was very intentional. He worked very hard to look ordinary. <laughs> he would eat plain food. He would speak plainly. He even gave himself the nickname of Jack, <laughs> because he thought his original name, Clive Staples, was too different. All his life, Lewis longed to be ordinary, but he was anything but ordinary. (laughs) He was extraordinary. But the strive to be ordinary is what made him incredible. The way that Lewis impacted Christianity is that in his writing, he would take big, complex ideas and make them accessible for the everyday person. This was C.S. Lewis an extraordinary thinker who would write in ordinary language. His colleagues at the university uh, thought Lewis was a sellout uh, because he wouldn't use the big, long, confusing words. He would write using simple, plain, ordinary words. An example of this is during World War II. Uh, Lewis was asked to give a series of talks over the radio. I haven't listened to the radio for a long time, so I was trying to figure out what that would look like. Gave a lot of talks, a series of talks over the radio about Christianity and its relevance. And these talks were—they're important because it was during a time when millions of people were dying. A lot of people were searching for answers: What is what is going on? And after the war had finished, these talks were compiled into a book called *Mere Christianity*. And in 2006, *Mere Christianity* was ranked. Uh, by Christianity, Christianity today, as the third most influential book written by a Christian author since 1945. So, it's quite influential, right? Yeah, great. And I think this—I think it's rated so highly because it aims to convince someone of the existence of God and what Christianity is like, without them needing prior knowledge to what Christianity or the Bible even is. Uh, th- there's this quote that I'm. Um, it's quite long, so just bear with it. I love this quote. This is like a life-changing quote. I was thinking for the sermon, I could have just put Lewis quotes the whole way through, but I was like, you know, like, I could just speak to you, like, pick up a book. But I was like, uh... Anyway, here we go. <laughs> Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he is doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof, and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably, and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. I love that because it describes Christianity so well. We can so easily underestimate God and the work that he's doing within us. We can think that he's making us into this little cottage that it's just been fixed up a little bit. But what he's really doing is building us into a palace where he himself is going to live for the rest of eternity. C.S. Lewis wouldn't just talk about ideas in simple ways. He would talk about them in different ways. If you haven't heard of the screw tape letters, you are in for a surprise. (laughs) Lewis wanted to write a book about everyday Christian living, essentially trying to answer the question, how am I supposed to live as a Christian? Now, if I was given that task, I would go to the Bible, I would pick some passages, I would explain those and say, this is Christian living. What Lewis does is that he writes 31 letters as a senior demon named Screwtape, trying to help his nephew Wormwood a junior tempter, to make sure that a man won't believe in Christ. So he's writing from the perspective of a demon to a, another demon about how that person should not become a Christian. You see why that could be awkward? Some people can Yeah, okay. So here's, here's a brief example. I've taken, I've, this isn't like the full example, just a brief example. He says, my dear Wormwood, I note with great displeasure that your patient has become a Christian. There's no need to despair. Hundreds of these adult converts have been reclaimed after a brief sojourn in the enemy's camp and are now with us, your affectionate uncle Screwtape. It's an incredible book that is really worth reading. (laughs) A small tip, take everything to be the opposite. Yeah, it will make a lot more sense that way. (laughs) But Lewis does this kind of thing all the time. He takes an idea and using plain, ordinary language, he explains it from from a perspective that no one else would think of. He uses images and stories to communicate. He allows the reader to really embrace their imagination. In reality, he is an extraordinary person who desperately wanted to be ordinary. But Lewis embraced who God created him to be. Lewis knew that he wasn't ordinary. And that he thought about complex things in simple ways. He knew that he saw the world differently to people around him. And he expressed that. But I think about us. I think we can often think about ourselves the opposite way. We can think that I'm ordinary, but I desperately want to be extraordinary. We can think I could never do the things that this man did. For me personally, I've constantly been comparing myself to Lewis the whole time I've been preparing this. I'm thinking, why couldn't I think of that? Why could not I come up with that idea? It's easy to look at successful people and to think that they have some sort of extraordinariness that just doesn't exist in us. We might assume that these people are capable of great things while us ordinary people are not. But we need to embrace who God has created us to be. He has designed you to see the world in a certain way. You have experienced certain things in your life that will have an impact on the people around you. Maybe you probably won't change the world like Lewis did, but you will play a big part in changing the world. So regardless of his attempts to be ordinary, Lewis embraced who God created him to be and he impacted the landscape of Christianity forever as a result. So, quick recap. So Lewis was an extraordinary person who wanted to be ordinary. That was the first way he changed the world. He spoke in very plain, easy-to-understand language. Now, the second way is that his message was heard clearly by the generations after him. C.S. Lewis was a man ahead of his time. He didn't gain recognition, really, until he had been dead for a few decades. As I mentioned before, Lewis spoke, he, he gained recognition for his work um, doing the mere Christianity, but after 1957, the culture shifted. People suddenly were not interested in Christianity anymore. They saw it as an outdated habit, with people breaking from religion in massive ways. It feels like today. <laughs> He rose to popularity very quickly and fell just as fast. So Chronicles of Narnia, that was, an, that I, again, I still read those. I would be lying if I said I wasn't reading them like right now. They're just, they're so good. Um, and they, and as, as I said, they are technically children's books. But Lewis himself says that a true children's book should be able to be enjoyed by adults as well. He creatively tells about journeys into a land called Narnia that is in another realm and how people, how they interact with this world. These books are entertaining. They'll make you laugh. They'll make you cry. They have it all. It's, it's, it's awesome. Unfortunately for Lewis, his good friend J.R.R. Tolkien released the Lord of the Rings trilogy at the same time that the Narnia series was released. And unfortunately for Lewis, his books gained very little recognition compared to the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And it wasn't even close. (laughs) Because people were more interested in the theme of power because of the war. The One Ring and the pursuit of power that Tolkien talked about was more engaging for a generation that had just been through the Second World War with Nazi Germany wanting ultimate power. Compare this to the Narnia series, uh, where you have children heading to another world, and their journey's there. But here's the awesome thing. Here's here's the thing. (laughs) The generation that everyone thought Lewis was talking to hadn't actually been born yet. Christianity at the time was strongly influenced by this thing called fundamentalism. And fundamentalism is a way of thinking about Christianity that is based uh, on taking everything in the Bible literally and on face value. Fundamentalism says, fundamentalism says that everything needs to make sense logically. And this was the main thought for Christians in Lewis's day. If you could make your point using logic and reason, you were right. But Lewis was different, <laughs> he valued symbolism. Imagination, creativity, things that fundamentalism didn't. This meant that his work was never going to be appreciated by his own generation. His message was being misunderstood because they could not understand what he was saying. But lucky for Lewis, it was a generation that followed him after his death that would make him one of the greatest writers and thinkers of history. And this generation, they valued, uh, their society valued things like imagination, creativity, things that the previous generation didn't. And there's two topics that Lewis wrote about a lot uh, desire and joy. And there's this essay called The Weight of Glory. Incredible essay. I'm sure a lot of you are thinking, incredible essay? Really? <laughs> there's maybe like four people here that are thinking, wow, that sounds really interesting. Um, so, what I've done, I've taken a little quote. Um, it's still kind of long again, but I think you guys can handle it, Um, from this essay called The Weight of Glory, and he talks about these two ideas of desire and joy. This is what he says. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what it, what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. He wrote about how desire is actually a good thing because it points us to God. And in Lewis's time, there was no one else writing about these kind of things. And his generation were not ready to listen to him. They they couldn't listen to him. But it's fascinating to see why people found Lewis, C.S. Lewis, to be so impactful. Considering that he used so much imagery and wrote in simple and easy ways. It would be easy to assume that he lacked a lot of depth. There's this guy who who wrote an incredible biography where he says this, Lewis allowed his readers to grasp and benefit from the importance of images and story for the life of faith without losing sight of the robustly reasonable nature of the Christian gospel. And this is the part here. Lewis is seen to enrich and extend faith without diluting it. If you've ever read him, I think you would be able to agree with that. As I read the Chronicles of Narnia, a a children's book, I actually feel like my faith has been enriched and extended. I'm imagining things that I would never have imagined before. This is what Lewis does. He writes in very simple and easy ways. He writes from a perspective that I would never think of. And he uses so much images and story. that my faith is enriched and extended. <laughs> okay. So, quick recap. So Lewis was an extraordinary person who wanted to be ordinary. And his message was heard clearly by the generation after him. So what is, why does that matter today? For you sitting in this room here, why does that matter? <laughs> and I want to I go back to the first point a little bit. Too often, we believe that we are ordinary people. That our best has a ceiling kind of this high. And we see other people and we think their ceiling's this high. I want you to know that you are extraordinary. That you are extraordinary. You are not ordinary. You are extraordinary. And let me tell you why. Because God has created you. God loves you. God desires to be in this relationship with you. He will build you into a palace and live with you forever. That's not ordinary. That is extraordinary. Lewis himself wrote this. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Lewis talked about it this way. Um, I don't know a few people here, so I'm just going to pick on Colin because I know Colin. He said it Yeah, Come on, Colin. If Colin, I don't want this to happen, but if Colin were to die right now, um, Colin is in Christ. He has been saved. Uh, We believe that he would go to heaven. Very good. If I was to somehow then see Colin, what he's like in this this body that has been uh, resurrected Uh, that has been um, glorified, that is holy and perfect. I would be tempted to worship him because he is so holy and awesome and right. So he is not ordinary because of that. He is no mere mortal. He is no ordinary person. This is what the Bible says about this. Ephesians 2.10. I love this. If the band wants to come up, let's go. For we are God's masterpiece. (laughs) You are God's masterpiece. You are not ordinary. You are a masterpiece. (laughs) He has created us anew for Christ, for Christ Jesus, so that we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. So in in my job, I often... um, uh, a lot of the students that I work with are in that sort of eighteen to twenty-five range—it um, it seriously breaks my heart how many of them believe that they are ordinary. How many of them do not believe um, that God is with them, that God loves them, that God has created them as a masterpiece? They believe that they are a little cottage, and undoubtedly. Many of us in this room will believe that as well. You believe that you are a little cottage, that you are ordinary. As we grow deeper into this relationship with Christ, as you start to believe that you are his masterpiece, you will start to experience life in a way that you never thought possible. You will start to see yourself in a way that you will think, how did I ever go about living without experiencing this? In my own life, I've seen this so much. I became a Christian when I was 19. And day one of Christianity, I made a very dumb mistake. And I thought, well, that was a good run. This is the awesome thing, though. I started to learn that Christ will forgive me, whatever happens. And that doesn't make me ordinary, that makes me extraordinary. So, if, if there's one thing that you can take from Lewis, one thing that you've thought, now there's a lot, of, a lot of stuff we've covered, but if there's one thing that you could truly take away tonight, is the belief that you are extraordinary, that you are God's masterpiece. You are in Him, you are in Christ. He loves you. He cares for you. He seriously wants the best for you. You might not believe that, but it is very true. Let me pray. Oh, heavenly Father, thank you so much that you love us so much. Thank you that you reach out to us. Thank you that you want the best for us. And, and that you make us extraordinary. You don't leave us in this. You don't leave us where we are. You, you build us, you create us into this new thing. And I pray that as we as we walk out tonight, as we respond now in worship, that you will speak to us so clearly. Speak to us and remind us and tell us maybe for the very first time that we are extraordinary, that we are your masterpiece. Pray and ask this Lord Jesus in your perfect and good name.